just in case you like tried to switch electives, which we don't encourage. Um, I guess I, I guess I should sort of welcome you. Anyway, um, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna get started. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we pray that it would be beneficial. It would be to your glory, and it would be for our good, and that uh, you would give us the eyes to see. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so yesterday we talked a lot about cocaine, and we're not going to talk about cocaine anymore, so if you came for the cocaine, I know, I know, it's so tough. Um, but... Uh, and what we said was, is that cocaine and smartphones are not that different. You know, that it, back in the 1800s, cocaine was new and that we, they were giving it to everyone because they thought it was good and they didn't know the ramifications of it because it was so new. And now we look back and we're like, wow, that wasn't a really good idea. And now, and now smartphones are that thing. Like, they're new, we're giving it to everyone. We're letting kids use it, and we might be looking back a little while, in a little while and being like, hey, that didn't seem like such a good idea. So that's where we were yesterday, and we arrived, we, we left or we stopped with the idea that our phones are quite possibly and even likely uh, the 21st century idols of our time. They connect us to our most core desires, and so we carry them around like ancient people carried around statues of Zeus or Mercury or whoever. So today what I want us to do is I want us to talk about how our phones are changing us and just three ways in which our phones are changing us, three ways in which our phones are affecting the way that we live, think, act, speak. The first thing that I want to suggest to you is that we are addicted to distraction. Now, we have always been addicted to distraction. We have always wanted to be distracted. And this is going to be the case for everything that we do. Our phones didn't create this problem. They just enhance, enable, and exacerbate this problem. Those are three E words since, I don't know, this is not Sesame Street. But um, enhance, enable, and exacerbate this problem, Okay. They make, it, uh, they make us more efficient at the bad things that we already want to do, all right? So it's not, this is not Kurt saying that your phone is what's making you do these things. It's that the, you already want to do these things, and your phone is making it easier, all right? Okay, the first thing is that we're addicted to distraction because we want to check our phones to keep work away, okay? We're checking our phones to keep work away. And this is something that we've always done. Procrastination is not anything new. It's not uh, people procrastinated long before there were cell phones. But, and everyone understands procrastination. Procrastination is the self-harm that we inflict on ourselves where, um, a self-harm that we inflict on ourselves. We'll talk about redundant. Anyway, uh, it's when we have something to do and we know that it has to be done and we put it off until the last minute. Um, and we put it off for literally anything. that We, we don't want to do this thing that we know we have to do. And so we'll put, off, we'll put, that, we'll put that off for literally anything. Okay? Um, when I was in college, one time I had exams. 
Uh, and someone, like, right before exams gave me the book The Hobbit. I was like, oh, you'll like this. You like books. And um, you can read. Try this. And, uh, and I tried it, and I was like, I, I didn't do very well on Fundamentals of Chemistry uh, exam that semester um, because I was reading about Bilbo and the dwarves instead and when I should have been studying titrations or whatever. And um, the bottom line was is that at the end of it, I was like, man, I love that book. I wish they were. I'm so disappointed there's not more. And the guy I told me about was like, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> there are actually three more, and they're even bigger. And I was like, oh, the summer's going to be amazing. Um but the, uh, I think you're getting a picture of how cool I was. But <laughs> um, I actually read those while I was a camp counselor, and I can't recommend anything more than being a camp counselor and reading Lord of the Rings while you're doing it. It's it's awesome. Um, but uh, so I didn't have a phone, but I was keeping work away. Another way in which you can see this in your generation is. When do, like, certain games and activities become really popular? And it's on a pretty consistent schedule. Like, and I'm going to use Fortnite as an example because it was really popular. People, like, say that when you say Fortnite. Like, it wasn't, like, the people who made that aren't geniuses. They are. So give them credit, all right? But people are like, oh, Fortnite is dumb. I moved on to whatever. Okay, whatever, bud. That's cool. You'll be saying that's dumb later, too. But, um... Get out of that terrible cycle of hating. Um, but Fortnite came out two years ago uh, in July or August of that year. I think it's 2017. And um, I have a friend who is, um, first of all, I play video games. You should know that. I think, and so, um, and I have a friend who works and just is pretty deep in the video game industry. And he was like, Kurt. You have an Xbox. You need to download this game called Fortnite. And I was like, no, nah, I can't download a game. I don't have any money. I'm poor. And he was like, no, it's free. I was like, I'm in. Uh, let's let's go. Um, and so, like, in August and September, I had Fortnite, and everyone was complete trash at it. And it was so fun. It's the most fun that the game has ever been. Someone would build, like, one wall and be like, I am a god. Like, the, uh, <laughs> did you see that? I built, like, a wall and a ramp. Like, the, uh, and then I shot him over it. It was amazing. I won a solo. I was the first one in my group of friends to win a solo. And, um, and... They thought it was legendary. I really just bush camped the entire time, killed the very last guy, like when he thought he was alone. And um, it's so lame or whatever. But, but when did Fortnite really blow up? It blew up at the end of November, the beginning of December of that year in 2017. It exploded, and everyone was playing it, all right? Everyone, all my students were like, Kurt, have you heard of Fortnite? And I'm like, no, no, let me try. Let me, you know, and like I get on the controller. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. And I was like, I don't know. It just comes naturally to me. I don't know how that happened. They, uh, it's just weird. I'm just good at video games, something that just happens. But, uh, you know, and so because they had, because they didn't have to pay a mortgage, um, they, like, all passed me, right, over over December and January, like, they became, like, legends at the game. And if, at the beginning, they were like, Kurt, be in our squad. Be in our squad. We're trying to get this dub. And, like, um, and now they're like, we don't want you to play with us. You're not, you're not good enough. Your edits are not sick. So, um, anyway, what happened? What happened? 
exams happened. Exams happened. All right? The other time when I noticed that, like, silly things like games become a popular is in late April, early May. That's when students are coming up to me and be like, have you ever heard of Slither.io? It's so fun. Like, um, have you heard of that? Like, why, why is that? That happens because it's a time when students who have a ton of free time and who games are marketed to, um, when they have this deadline coming up and they know that they need to be studying and anything will do to distract them. And so these kind of games, these silly games on our phones where you bounce the ball and make it fall down or whatever, like these, like, uh, like all those things become really popular right then because why? Because we want to keep work away. We want to keep work away, and so we're looking for anything that will keep us from doing what we have to do, right? We're looking for anything. Anything will do. When, and here's the thing about the phone is the phone is so good at providing that anything, right? It's, that's what it's really efficient at. It's like, oh, you need something? Well, I've got tons of things that you can do. And so we use our phones to keep work away. It is... It, this is what the phone is the best at, is distracting us from what we actually need to be doing. It's its most efficient work, all right? Um, the second thing is not only do we check our phones to keep work away, but we also check our phones to keep people away. Now, you can do this in a number of ways, all right? One way in which you might do it is if you see someone that you just kind of know, but you feel like you kind of have to talk to, but you're in a hurry and you don't really want to talk to them, and they haven't seen you yet, maybe you pull up your phone and you act like you're talking to someone. You just say, like, yeah or okay every couple of seconds, like you're on the phone until you get past them, and then you can, like, put your phone back down, and you use the phone kind of like as a shield because, look, you're in a hurry. You're busy. you gotta, you got to get things done. Um, but I see it with my students. They use the phone kind of like a shield. Like whenever anything awkward or difficult happens or when they don't want to deal with someone, just how quickly they reach for their phone. They just put it up. And it's kind of like a little shield that they put up. It's like to keep other people away, a tiny little shield that says, like, this, what's going on here is important, and what's going on out there, like, beyond this, I don't want to deal with. All right? So we use phones to keep people away. All right? A phone... An open phone or a phone face up is a constant reminder that something better might come along. And how this works detrimentally is, like, let's use uh, this guy as an example, okay? Now, what's your name? Noah. Okay, Noah. Let's, now, one thing that I do for my job is that I, uh, I go to breakfast with guys in my youth group a lot. So let's say that I, me and Noah, let's say Noah's in my youth group. And I was going to meet Noah for breakfast. And in Montgomery, we meet at this place called Chappie's, which is a mediocre deli, that, but it has pretty good breakfast. So I go, and I meet Noah, and I sit down at the booth, right? And I'm like, Noah, what's up? And I set my phone, like, just face up on the table like that, and we start talking. Now, what have I told Noah, okay? I've said this. I've said with my mouth, like, hey, I'm interested in you and what's going on with you. But I've said with my body, with my body language, and especially with the way I've set my phone down is this. It's like, hey, Noah, I care about you, but I'm pretty important. And also some big things might happen. And if the right people text me or call me, I'm going to totally ignore you and pay attention to this, right? I've put him in his place, 
all right? And all I did was sit my phone. Now when I go to breakfast with students, this is what I used to do, but now when I go to breakfast with students, I take my phone and I put it face down in the booth and I put it where I can't feel it, you know, or touch it or see it or whatever because I want the person that I'm meeting with to know that I actually care about them. But this is, that's, that's kind of how we use our phones. We use our phones to remind people like, hey, look, I'm a pretty big deal. I've got things going on here. Um, and I'm only interested in you until something better comes along. Who wants to be told that, right? Who wants to be looked in the eye and said, hey, hey, you matter to me, but I might have to, like, ditch you at any moment in case something better comes along. No one does. It doesn't feel good, right? It feels terrible. But we do this all the time. We use our phones to keep people away. Thirdly, we, use, we check our phones to keep eternity away. Now, I want to be clear what I mean by that, okay? What I do not mean is that somehow you can keep, like, actual eternity away with your phone. I serve in a church. There are at least six families off the top of my head. There are six families in our church that have buried a teenager, all right, um, that have buried a teenager uh, in our church. And that's just off the top of my head. There's probably more. I've only been there seven and a half years, but I know at least six um, that have buried someone I knew, some of the kids, that, that um, some of it happened before I got there, but where most of it did, but um, I knew some of them, and I've been to those funerals, and um, I know that you think that you're going to live till you're 75 or 85 or whatever, and maybe that does happen, but let me just, let this just be like a, some cold water in your face. That is not at all guaranteed, okay? And you should definitely be thinking about eternity, because it comes quickly for all of us. Um, but what I mean when I say that we use our phones to keep eternity away is that we keep thoughts of eternity away, right? The fact that everyone in here will be dead at some point, we just don't want to think about it, right? Like, it's really easy to think about. In 1919, everyone who was alive in 1919 is dead, pretty much. And no one who is alive now pretty much was alive in 1919. That was 100 years ago. So 100 years from now, there will be all new people all over the world. And some of you are going to say to me, wait a second, there are people who live to be 100 or older than 100. And okay, thank you. Okay, just push your glasses up like this. Now, like a complete nerd. I got it. I'm aware of that. I've watched, you know, the Today Show when they do the happy birthdays too. So I understand how that works. But for the most part, we don't want to think about our own mortality we don't want to think about the fact that we're going to die. We don't like to think about those things, all right? And we want to push those things away. And our phones are very good at helping us do that. And here's the dangerous thing about that, okay? When I was in college, which was a very important time for me spiritually, sometimes I just couldn't sleep. It would be like 2 a.m. My roommates would be asleep, and I would just be like just wide awake. You ever lay down on the pillow, and like you're just looking up at the scene, and you're like, dang it. Like, all right, maybe if I'm just really still. And like, how much time has passed? Six minutes, okay. Twelve minutes, okay. Like, you just, and it's just not, it's just not working, and you just can't fall asleep. When I was in college, that happened to me a couple of times, more than a couple of times. And when that would happen, sometimes, and not every time, but sometimes I would read my Bible. Um, I remember one particular night, I just read First and Second Corinthians. I don't know why. I just read it, and I was just, it was just what I did. Um, another night, I read a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which is really important to me spiritually. It's for sale back there, by the way. So um, he is 
it was written in you know post World War Two, so those are gonna a lot of the references are gonna be old, but it's still an amazing book. Um, and I really just thought about my life a lot, and I, what what I really believed, what I wanted to do, and who I was, and like where my identity was. And I couldn't have articulated all of that. I couldn't have said it like I say it now because I was an immature twenty year old or whatever. But I was definitely thinking about those things. And here's the scary thing about that because. I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure that I would have been a minister, and I'm not sure that I would even be a Christian if it wasn't for those times. And here's the scary part, the very scary part, the reality, is that if I'd had this, I don't think I would have done that. If I'd have had this, and this is the sincere advantage that I have over you, okay? This is why I would not trade places with you, okay? A lot of people want to be younger, want to look younger. I would, I don't, I would not... And here's why, okay, is because because I was born in 1980, okay, which I know sounds like a million years ago. It's actually just 39. I've done the math. Um, I've experienced the birthdays. But because I was born in 1980, I had to go find pornography, and solitude would just slip up on me, okay? That's, that's what my generation was like, is that, if I wanted to see pornography, I had to go find it. And solitude could just happen every now and again. And here's the reality for your generation, is that pornography is like coming for you, really. It is on the lookout. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you, okay? And you're going to actively have to pursue solitude. Like, you're just not going to slip into solitude. And the reason you're not is because you have the anti-solitude machine with you all the time. All right, and that is, that's the cruel irony of the general, gener, generational difference between someone like me, who is the oldest version of millennial you can be, and then someone like you, who's in Gen Z, all right? Is it, this, that's the difference, and it's a scary difference, okay? Because, I, honestly, I'm very thankful for the solitude that the Lord gave me when I just couldn't sleep and I had to think about, you know, I had to think about Him, and think about things that were deep and meaningful and to contemplate things. And because of this, you guys like you have to you guys have to be very careful because because of this you could be in a situation where you never have solitude. And think about this for a second too. How grave is this? Jesus Christ said that he needed solitude. Jesus Christ said I need to go off by myself and be with my heavenly Father. And if I, I'm very comfortable saying that I'm not better than Jesus. Okay, and I'm pretty comfortable saying that you're not better than him either. And if Jesus needed that, then you probably need that too. And that's concerning, okay? That concerns me for you. Is that, and it concerns me for me now because, we, now that is funny, but uh, is that you're never alone. You're never alone. Even when you're by yourself, you can never be alone. And so, therefore, you can't be alone with God. So, uh, this is a quote from Peter Kreeft. He wrote a book called Christianity for Modern Pagans, and he's riffing off a guy named Blaise Pascal. But anyway, we run away. I w- we run away like conscientious little bugs, scared rabbits, dancing attendants, our liking, sharing, anything. We think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down we know that this would be unendurable to us. We want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. That's how I describe y'all's generation. Y'all are the kids who are always busy. Um, 
unconsciously we want the very thing that we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified. Because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. What is he saying there? That's a nice little bit of profundity. He's saying that if we're ever really by ourselves, if we ever really have solitude, then what will happen is we realize that we need God. But if we can keep ourselves, the flip side is this, if you can keep yourself from being alone, then you'll maybe never even realize that need. Okay, so we're addicted to distraction. We keep phones away, we keep people away. I mean, sorry, we keep work away, people away, and eternity away. Now, hold on, let's go back. Let's not let you cheat. What are the top two commandments in the Bible? Jesus is on record here. What are the top two? Does anyone know? All right, hat, tell me. Give me one. Love God. Yeah, okay, well, sorry, that's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. That's good. I meant like when someone asked Jesus whether the two greatest commandments, well, was, what, what do you say is the greatest commandment? Go for it, beard. Yes. And then what was number two? Well, you, I think you said that too. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the top two commandments. If you're going to be a Christian, I think it would be healthy and probably wise to have number one and number two this is not even the 10. He was ready to go 10, which is kind of impressive, by the way, my man. But, um, but to have one and two, this is Jesus in Mark chapter 12, although I could have gotten this from several of the Gospels. When Jesus asked what the greatest commandment is, he says this, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And what I want to point out to you, okay, is this. I want to point out to you how many times in the greatest commandment, according to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the word all appears four times. And why this is so important for us is this. If we don't watch ourselves, we never give all of ourselves to anything. We're always ready to be distracted, always, always ready to move on to the next thing. And yet Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? And look, I get it. I know that Jesus fulfills the law perfectly, and that's the source of our righteousness. But that doesn't mean that we don't apply this law to our lives to say this is how we live the most blessed, the most Godward way. We have to give all of ourselves. And how can you give all of yourself to something if you're constantly distracted on here? It's a legitimate question that we have to answer. Okay, so the second thing that we do is we ignore our flesh and blood. We're addicted to distraction, and we ignore our flesh and blood. Now, look, the easiest way to describe this is texting and driving, okay? And you shouldn't text and drive, and that's not what this is about. But I just want to talk about the concept of texting and driving and just to show you, like, how anti-biblical, like, like the sin in your heart that causes you to do that. So let's talk about driving for a second. Whether you have a car or you don't, you could probably relate to this. But when you're in a car, okay, you're in a 1,500 to 2,500 pound bullet, okay, and you're commanding that bullet, and you're going 60 down the road, okay, and you can't really think about this too much because it will really get in your head. You might not want to drive again, but you're driving 60 miles an hour this way, like this, you know, and someone else is coming 60 miles an hour the other way, and by the way, if y'all have a head-on collision, you're both dying. I don't care how many airbags you have, okay? They, they can advertise the commercials all they want. Two cars going 60, you're donezo, okay, if you hit head-on. 
And um, so, um, but uh, so you're going 60, they're going 60, right? What is separating you? What is separating you from colliding into each other? An idea is separating you. An idea. Like, you're going 60, they're going 60. Like, what is keeping you alive are two little yellow, it's finger paint, okay? Like, I know it's not finger paint, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, if you really think about that for a second, if you really dwelt on it, you might not ever drive. We have to have the assumption that people are going to obey the rules, otherwise no one would drive because everyone would be so neurotic. But, um, but that's all that's separating you, okay? And when you guys pass, in that split second, when you're driving and they're driving, and you guys pass, like right here, like, okay, that, in that split second, that person is as close to you in proximity as any person in the world. Whether they're your best friend or a perfect stranger, no one is closer to you. Now, some of you are going to say, well, what if you have someone in the car with you? Well, this is my illustration, and shut up. So, um, the, uh, you, like, they're, they're, so they're, they're as close to you in proximity because you're both sitting on the left side of the car, um, in America at least. Like, they're as close to you as anyone, okay? And they hold your life in their hands. In that brief moment of time, they have your life in their hands, and you have their life in your hands. And, like, and I, I mean, you guys understand how parallel lines and non-parallel lines work, but, like, just even the slightest thing, and you could both be done, okay? So this person is the closest person to you in proximity in the world, and this person also is holding your life in their hands, and the, you're holding their life in, in your hands, all right? And you're going to ignore them because someone's cat did something cool, and you want to make sure and like that video, or you want to switch the song because you're just not really feeling this playlist or or you want to text that you're on your way even though that's the most useless text ever just be on the way that's faster than telling that you're on the way don't talk about it be about it as one coach said to me but um like like you're going to ignore them all right and I, I just want you to see how crazy that is it is crazy and look Probably everyone in here who's driven has texted and, and drove before, but like, I want you. To, I just want you to see that there's someone who is so close to you, and you are ignoring them, and you're ignoring them for someone who is way far off, uh, who might or might not even be aware of your presence at that moment. I want you to think about that for a second. That you're ignoring those who are right here for someone who is far off. We're going to come back to that. That concept. Okay. Actually, you know what? I, I think I even have a, uh, I think I had a, a picture. You know what I love about this picture? I love to look up stock photos on, um, on Google Images. Like, so if you just type in texting and driving, I think this might be number one. Um, can you all tell me why that's a terrible image and, and a bad Photoshop? Can you all identify why it is? He's, he's going, z thank you, it's not the red light. He's obviously running the red light. That's the point. He's going zero miles an hour. They, they photoshopped all this, right? They photoshopped all this to make it look he's going fast, and they didn't even bother to photoshop the speedometer to show that he's actually moving, right? Come on, come on, bros, be better than that. Um, let's, you think that's going to, like, my critical eye, you don't think I'm going to notice that? This guy's, like, driving. What a stage photo, what a bunch of garbage. Um, the second thing is, is not only do we ignore our flesh and blood who's right around us for people who are not close, but also the most viral um, in mediated communication, and in mediated communication is when there's something between me and the person I'm talking to. Like this girl right here, what's your name? 
Morgan. So I'm looking Morgan in the eye right now and like, look, so like she knows that I have, she has my attention and I have her attention. This is unmediated communication, right? But if I were just to text Morgan, right, there'd be something in between us, right? There'd be like, a, like so, um, you know, a mediator. It'd be like a wall a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, so that holds us, uh, you know, at arm's length or whatever. So when I say unmediated and mediated, that's what I'm talking about. The difference between talking to someone directly versus talking to someone through someone. You can think about, like, boyfriends and girlfriends in grade school and, like, how you have to, like, send a messenger over to her or whatever. So, like, if, if that's where you want to think about it. But um, in mediated communication... The number one emotion, the most viral emotion is anger. They've done tests. You want to send your Instagram, you want to post your ILYSM post and like your happy birthday post and your hashtag blessed post and, you know, whatever. You want to do that? That's great. That's going to get liked and retweeted and shared and all that. That's fine. Nothing that you post will get more likes, shares, and retweets than when you share angry post. It's been proven Okay, they've done the studies. The emotion that is the most viral is anger. And this is what's so ironic about America is everyone wants to talk about how terrible America is. It's so terrible that we have to go get vicariously angry, angry through other people because our lives are so good. Like, that's, that's the truth of the matter. It's like we love to share other people's anger. We love to read that post where it's like someone cut me off in traffic or someone backed into a parking spot or someone um, didn't left the toilet seat up or whatever it is, and to just get angry through that person. There are people right now, I can guarantee you, who are sharing posts on Facebook. Uh, you know, they're obviously older. Um, but, like, they're sharing posts on Facebook about how angry they are about texting and driving, and they're doing that while they're driving. And that hypocrisy is just washing over them and completely missing the point um, or going over their head. But the point is this, is that we love to be angry, all right? We love, it's, it's, we love viral anger. And mediated communication, like, it creates and encourages that viral anger. All right. Um, and the scary part is, is that we have come to love mediated communication over unmediated communication. Here, here's how I'll point that out to you. How many of you leave voicemails on a regular basis? Oh, oh, like, like two, three people? Like, would you rather leave a voicemail with someone? Or would you rather, if you had to choose between calling someone, leaving a voicemail, or sending a text... Who, who in here would just default to and choose text first? Like almost everyone, right? And that's because what does text do? It keeps people at arm's length, right? You just send it out there, and then they can respond to it or whatever, and you don't have to deal with them. Because we are, we are conditioning ourselves. Um, no, I'm not. Um, we're conditioning ourselves to prefer mediated communication instead of unmediated communication. And what's dangerous for Christians is that we're made for unmediated communication. That's why God gave us the church, by the way. So you can look someone in the eye and say, I believe this, and I believe this too. Um, and it's this local body of believers. And instead, what we want is we want to prefer mediated communication. We want to keep people at arm's length. When, in fact, the Scriptures say that now we see through a mirror dimly, but then in glory we will see face to face. Jesus is our only mediator. Jesus is our only mediator, and yet we prefer unmediated communication. Now, in the light of texting and driving, and in the light of what we've just talked about, read 1 John 4.20 and tell me that it doesn't speak directly to the hypocrisy in our own lives. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom, whom he has not seen. I want you to hear what he's saying here. He's saying this, you say you love me and you've never seen me. You're a liar because you can't love the people who are right in front of you. You can't love the people who are right in front of you. And if you can't love the people who are right in front of you, how could you possibly love someone who is far off? Think about that in the context of what we're talking about. That's a completely additional interpretation, which is an important one. Look at what John says in, in uh, Second John. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink, which is like their version of texting, I guess. And instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then this is Paul in Romans 15. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And then Paul again in 2 Timothy. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Do you see what emotion the scriptures tie to face-to-face communication? It's joy. And what emotion is most associated with media communication? Anger. The scriptures have been telling us this for years. Um. I have this picture I like to show. This is from a this is from the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, premiere. And what I love about this picture is uh, I love that guy in the blue shirt in the middle who can't get his phone to work right. Um, uh, we're all him in some ways. But who I really love is this. Okay, now everyone else, everyone else in that photo is taking a shaky phone cam of you know Johnny Depp, right? That no one wants to see. Did you see Johnny Depp and you took a video of it? I don't care. I can watch professional cinematographers take video of Johnny Depp anytime that I want. Like, it's not important to me. Like, here's my question to you. Are you actually present in your own life? Or are you, are you experiencing your whole life through this screen? You ever go to a concert and you see people like, Feel like, I want to see this band. I didn't want to see this band through your phone screen. You know what I mean? Um, are you present? This is a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves. Are you present right now? And I know you're tired. Are you ready to go to the beach or do whatever? And that's fine. Thank you for being patient with me. But are you present like this lady is present? She's experiencing something. Other people are trying to save something to talk about later, I guess. Okay, last thing. We crave immediate approval. Um, our phones encourage and enable us to, uh, to create avatars. What is an avatar? I don't know if you've seen the movie Avatar, but it's overrated. And um, Jake Sully. Um, anyway, but, but I'm not talking about Airbender, please. Um, You've just revealed so much about yourself. But uh, um, what is an avatar? An avatar is a representation of us that's not really us. And your phone through social media is encouraging you to create an avatar. So you have a bunch of avatars. You have your, your, your Snapchat, your Instagram, your uh, Twitter, your Facebook. Those are avatars. It's not you. It's not you on those things. I know that person looks like you and has some of the same experiences you do, but it's not really you. It's an avatar, all right? And I can prove that to you because I used to have social media. And I used to, and I, my Instagram was not filled with pictures of me because who wants to look at me? Not many people, I can tell you. But what I did is I, it was before we had our, 
before we had Grayson, so it was just Campbell. It would just be a ton of pictures of Campbell, like take Campbell to the zoo, you know, or a picture of Campbell laughing or a picture of Campbell at the beach. And if you were to look at that, you would think that my son is a precocious, happy child who is always laughing and always having a good time. And what's not in there is all of the spankings or timeouts or fits thrown or dirty diapers or toilet training or yelling by him or by us or bad parenting or all the things that have happened. None of that is there. That's who Campbell and, and Marty and I really are. That's who we really are. But on social media, we have this avatar where everything is, uh, everything is good. Now, you might not know who this is, but I will tell you. This is a Cena O'Neill. okay? Now, Cena O'Neill was a 19-year-old Australian girl with a million followers on Instagram, more than a million followers on Instagram, more than a million followers on Facebook, more than, or not Facebook, uh, YouTube and Twitter. She had those three social media accounts, and each one of them had more than a million followers. She was paid to do these things. She, it was her income to take pictures of herself and put them on Instagram, and she got paid and paid handsomely to do that. All right, Companies would send her clothes, swimsuits, health products, um, food, like whatever. Like They would send her stuff for free and hope in hopes that she would post about it, you know, skincare, th- different things like that. And uh, and they also pay her to do it and pay her per post, right? She was killing it on social media. Like you no one everyone in here combined probably doesn't have a million followers, okay? Um no, I'm pretty sure. They uh, a million's a big number. They um hey, don't be don't be shrugging at me. What do you got? Like 300? <laughs> uh <laughs> Whoa! I don't know how many I have, so I don't care. I don't even know if that's a big or small number. So, they, uh, they, uh, also, I'm terrible at estimating. So, you see that as well. But, like, look, like, just think about it for a second. If everyone in here had 1,000 followers, it wouldn't be enough. Right? Right? You know, like, she has a million by herself. Right? She's 19. She has a million. What are you doing with your Instagram? No, I'm just, that's not what the point of this is. The, um, the point is this. Would you like to see what she really looks like? Um, this is what a Cena O'Neill really looks like. Um, okay? That's the same person. Okay? Now, some of you in here who are girls are going to be like, uh, yeah, you don't have never heard of makeup? Like, we understand how this works. Like, she's, in one picture she's really trying, and in another picture she's not really trying. Like, that's how it works. First of all, I'm married to a woman. I understand how makeup works. So, thanks a lot. They, um, some of you are wearing too much Mascara, I'm not going to say who, but, um, nah, <laughs> ooh, shots fired. I'm not even talking about anyone. I'm just making that up because it sounds funny. Um, the, uh, you guys really, really are not paying attention. But here's what I want to tell you about Sino and Neil that's so important. She got rid of her accounts. She got rid of them. She got off social media altogether. She was doing what many of you dream to be doing, which is basically nothing, <laughs> but getting paid handsomely to do it. And she gave it all up. This is a true story, okay? Listen to what she says, okay? If only at 20 I was this articulate. Being born into this screen-dominated age, we are taught to mold ourselves in order to gain the most social validation, likes, views, and followers. I was a living paradox of conditional self-love and constant self-hate. Basically, my self-worth relied on social approval. I was a living paradox of conditional self-love, self-love, love love that I received for myself 
only when I did and performed the way that I thought I should, and also constant self-hate. I hated myself, and I hated who I was becoming. This is not some depressed kid in your youth group who has no friends. This, this person is more popular than any of you, okay? And this, listen to what she says. Listen to her. This is not me. This is, listen to her. That she hated herself and that her, all of her approval and identity was tied up in other people approving of her. She took, I didn't, I'm not putting this photo up there, but she, she still has, on her Instagram, she left some of the photos up and she just changed the captions. One of them is her in a swimsuit and it says this, this is not real life. It took over, I took over a hundred in similar poses trying to make my stomach look flat. I would have hardly eaten that day. I would have yelled at my little sister to keep taking them until I was somewhat proud of this. This is what it really looks like. You know what happened to Asina O'Neill? She woke up. She is awake. And she realized, she, she realized that all that approval was not satisfying her. And so she just quit chasing it. She didn't get in trouble or have some kind of controversy. She willingly gave up what many of us would die to have. All right? And we should have known that that's the case because the Bible's been telling us that for, you know, thousands of years. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. What, this is Jesus, one of my favorite quotes from Jesus. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. That is Jesus being as real as he will ever be right there. Oh, everyone likes you? That's the worst position you can be in. Whoops. My bad, Jesus. Um, we crave immediate approval. Asina O'Neill woke up. My question to you is, is, are you awake or are you still asleep? Do you still think that having that kind of approval is going to satisfy you? It's not. It's not. Um, but our phones encourage us to pursue that, the very approval, which, which does not satisfy. You know, you're made for approval. You're made to receive approval. You're not wrong to want it. Um, you're not, you're made for God to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I love you. You're honored and precious. You're made for that. But the problem is, is that what our phones encourage us to do is to encourage that, like a generic or a synthetic version of that, which is lesser and not as good. You know about generic cereals? Oh, you like, you know, you like Fruit Loops? Well, how about Fruitios? You know, and they're like cheaper and they come in a bag instead of a box. And you guys and I are constantly tempted to try to eat Fruitios and say that they're Fruity Pebbles. We're trying to get other people's approval and other people's. We're, we're searching for other people's approval because what we really need is God's approval. And we keep taking the generic thing and it doesn't work. It doesn't fill us up and we keep having to get it. And we think, well, maybe if I get more of it and maybe if I get more of it and maybe if I get more of it. And it turns out that even if you have millions of it, it's not enough. Turns out that immediate approval doesn't really feel that good. Okay, well, we're, we're over time and I apologize for that. Uh, but um, what I want us to see today is that these are things that are inside your heart already. And all you're doing is your phone is encouraging you to chase these things. Um, 
they're, it's enhancing, enabling, and exacerbating the problems that we have in our heart, the idolatry problems that we have in our heart. Tomorrow, we're going to look at two more of these problems, and then we're going to take some bold steps, or I'm going to encourage you to take some bold steps to fix, you know, to, to take your phone and to put it at the altar of Jesus Christ and how we can do that. I'm going to ask uh, you right there with the glasses. What is your name? No, you right there, yes. With the glasses hanging down, I should say, Jim. Jim, will you pray for us to close us? Thank you.